Philosophers. Philosophers. Well, here we are again. Yes. And uh, I don't like keeping up with the news, to be honest. Nor do I. But I do. (laughs) As do I. I feel like... Well, I feel like a part of it is a misplaced sense of responsibility that was enshrined in me when I was young. That you must be a good, informed citizen. Yes. Be a good citizen. Um, Ooh. So, there's a theme that's been going on for the past... I've been aware of it for the past couple of years. I know it's probably been going on since before that. And I know it'll probably go on long after. Um, in the West, it seems that there's this unhealthy addiction to religion. I somewhat agree. Okay. Um, however, I think this is a, I think this is regional even within the West. Okay. Uh, For instance, I find that uh, America, North and South America. um, The continent? The two continents. Okay. um, Is more preoccupied with religion than, say, Western Europe. Yes, I do think that's true. Um, And I think a lot of it can be attributed... This is all going to be conjecture for the majority of this episode. This is your only and final warning. If you want to see people who actually know uh, actual scientific reasons for this stuff, please see yourself out. <laughs> um, Joe can speak for himself. Everything I say is the truth. Yes, fair enough. Um, I would pose that it's likely due to um, the infancy of, well, modern societies in the Americas. I know that there have existed societies long before the ones that the nations that currently exist, but most of them were quite handedly genocided. Um, but even those individuals were still very religious, but not so much more comparatively to other societies around the world at their level of uh, at their level on the tech tree. Let's put it that way. Oh <laughs> like, my God. I, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, development. Um you know, there's the various ages, stone, iron, whatever, bronze. Um, however, I don't... The, and the people that... I, I, I feel like we always get told that the people who uh, colonized the Americas did so... Like, the, one of the first reasons you're always told is it's for religious reasons. Like, that's a narrative that's been spun pretty hard that I know you and I heard growing up in schools is that the pilgrims were fleeing religious persecution, and that's why America exists. <laughs> um, uh, I know that wasn't the only reason. That it was a big reason, were, though. But it was a big reason, and just like a lot of other things that we haven't gotten over, um, we still haven't gotten over that either, you know, Um I, there are plenty of governments that have religious symbolism on their currency. You know, America, the United States of America is not the only country with something akin to one nation under God. I mean, if you look at places like, you know, Great Britain, th- the literal head of state, de facto head of state being the queen or the monarch is literally chosen by divine right, by God. Like, and they, they're, they canonically have, anyway, canonically. Yeah. Is that what you said? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Um, but uh, although our one nation under God thing wasn't a thing until like the mid 20th century ish. Right. But by the fact that even it got put on then is even worse. Like we still haven't gotten over it, you know? Um, no, but I think that was mostly we need to make sure to differentiate ourselves as much as possible from those godless commies. I think that's what that was. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But it's something to be said, I think, about the nature of democracies in general. I think democracies also have a problem with religion. And there's there are ways in which they are not the most compatible. Um, the primary one being that, especially in a 
it doesn't have to be a representative democracy, but any democracy in which the voting, the citizenry, let's put it that way, and I mean that by those who have clout that can vote um, in some way, shape, or form, be it through representatives or be it directly, um, the larger that base of people, the more populist, if you will, it is, the more religion has a role to play because religion throughout all of human society has permeated, well, society. It's a core component of society, period. Yes. Um, so it doesn't surprise me, thinking about that, that democracies have a lot more of religious prominence, the more democratic, the more religious. Um, now, I know, know that there are certain dictatorships that take advantage of religion in a similar way. I mean, a great example being North Korea, where the despot is essentially the head religious figure or the god of that, I guess you'd call it religion. I don't really right. Know enough or about it. monarchies, real monarchies, monarchies, real monarchies in, yeah. in which the monarch is said to be chosen by divine right. Right. But in a monarchy or a dictatorship, the citizenry are by very nature alienated from the politics. They do not get a say and it is thus distant. Whereas in a democracy, you do have a say and there is often a much, there's a lot of illusion placed around how much say you really have, but it makes you, but the, the general sentiment is that it makes you feel way more important than you really are. Um, vote wise, like mathematically speaking, your vote probably is not worth as much as you think it is in most democracies, but it's still important, you know. Right. It's not zero. It's not zero. Exactly. Um, which, if you look at all of human society, that's pretty great. <laughs> um, but because of how democracies work as well, and that is usually some form of majority rule, the quickest way to get your hands on a majority is to use a cultural bulwark like religion that ties it ties a lot of people into a block that you can that you can influence directly um most politicians don't look at individuals as individuals you know in a democracy it makes perfect sense you know to be, it's better to treat everyone as a block and assume they'll behave roughly the same you know uh, people of the same religion will tend to hold common values and it's easier to pick at those values and get wider spread response than not right but there's something else um that it's that made me think about this it wasn't that it was looking at the popularity of people like jordan peterson looking at the sheer popularity of people like him and then all of the stuff going on around kanye west and his new found faith well newly rediscovered faith he's been, he's been fickle about his religious beliefs for a long time and without going too much to the specifics on those guys, uh, you can't deny the popularity behind their message. And it seems that they there is this hunger for religion. Like people, the more secular societies get, there's like this point where you reach a you cross a threshold where everyone wants to hard overcorrect back to religion. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with there's like this fear of people not buying into the society um that's an example i've get, i've been i've been given and told you know is societies maybe once again i think this is very localized because i definitely see places like western europe where this is really not a thing but not yet but i mean and i know i'm i, I don't know everyone in western europe but a lot of the movements that oppose things like feminism in its modern iteration yes cite things like family units and they but they don't just say the family they talk about it through a religious context it, they talk about it as in there is like this meaning that needs to be communicated like we all need to understand that we have a purpose and as soon as you wander into the area of what is the purpose of life, religion is ready to go with a myriad of answers. Right? Yes. And even if it is a localized problem to the Americas, I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to narrow the scope for the sake of the discussion because this is where we are. You know? Sure. And I see it. 
Uh, it's more prevalent to me anyway, in my very limited scope. I know. I, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to be very careful that we weren't making generalizations about patterns in society that may only exist in our society. That's fair. Um, and well, I guess the other reason I, I bring it up is because when we say our society, societies are becoming more and more homogenous thanks to things like the internet. Yes. Every day. And if you look at the most dominant exporters of influence, it is the United States in a large way. Sure. Well, I, I, slight tangent, push. Sure. Um, right. I was having a discussion just today uh, about the uh, the particular definitions that I prefer to use for words like atheist and agnostic. Okay. Which, by and large outside of particular groups in society at large the definitions that i use are not the definitions most people think of when they hear those words okay um and i i need not go into the specifics because that's not really important but the there there was somebody involved in this discussion who was from western europe i forget exactly which company company country what's the difference maybe one day (laughs) (laughs) just uh, I, don't, I don't know which country he was uh, from, but anyway, I want to say like like uh, Belgium or Netherlands or somewhere in that area. Um, anyway, um, found it very weird that I was even bothered by the definition of these because they're just completely irrelevant in places like where he's from. Nobody cares. Right. Because religion is like a thing that exists, but nobody really spends a whole lot of time thinking about there. And it's not really an issue of contention, like 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 the word. Those words do not have the same baggage there that they do here in the United States. Right, and I think there's a reason for that as well. Now that I think about it, there's um, there's another key difference between the United States and European nations, though, and that is the degree to which they take classical libertarianism seriously libertarianism is not an american idea but it is a place that it got ran a lot more prevalent and then in australia of all places as well um but there is a common concept across europe and that is a it's not so much socialist but it's tinges a little bit towards socialism and that is the identity as a group and national identity being stronger um for and i'm not saying it's not strong in the united states but in if you look at the geographical just the geographical differences between Europe and the United States the United States for a majority of its existence was manifesting its destiny right like it, it was stomping out and creating a single identity um across the continent um but not only that it because we all just kind of identified as Americans that means very different things to ver- to a bunch of different people because it's so large. In Europe, countries tend to be smaller um, and older, but their age also lends to a unique identity that's more culturally related. Like, for example, there's the if you look at the push for German unification, which went on for quite some time in Europe. I'm not, I'm not sure on the dates, but you know, back when Prussia and there were the Germanic states, and they were all separate. The push for German unification was important because they were all seeing themselves as the same culturally, right? And when you have people that live less than a quarter of the distance across the United, even less than the United States is with, away from you that have a different, entirely different language, it's a lot easier to find or to highlight how similar you are to each other. Whereas in the United States a big principle that builds itself into the American psyche, or at least had was this new level of freedom and independence. And a lot of that came from, for about half the country's history, if you didn't like things, you actually could just go somewhere where there was no one else and do it your own way. And a lot of, and that's kind of how the United States was formed colonially. People came here to do things their own way to break from 
a stronger national identity, whereas that wasn't an option purely geographically in Europe for the longest time. You can't just go to some other place in Europe and create your own country, essentially. Um, and that's why I think, you know, when, when it, just to pull another more modern example, everyone's talking about things like uh, the Kurds, right? In America, we are like, okay, well, where is the nation of the Kurds? Like, what nation is it that they, you know, they have? Like, where is Kurdistan, you know? Well, that's not a thing. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they aren't a national group. They, they're they a cultural group that exists beyond national borders. And that's strange to us, you know? Like, why don't they just go make their own country, you know, and do things their way, you know? Because that's something that Americans did. And that's not so much anymore. But, you know, if you look at the difference in states, a lot of the states are as different as they were for that same reason. So... While the identity, while religion may not be the majority cultural linkage or substrate for societies in Europe as much as it used to be, because religion used to supersede national borders as well, you know, like with the Pope being a major political figure, for example, national identity was still very important. And it's no surprise that you see things like communism and fascism coming out of these kinds of instances because both of those things tend to have a very strong group identity and especially fascism has a very strong and i talk about fascism i mean actual political fascism and political parties they call upon things like the motherland and fatherland those are words that are not common in the united states like no one refers to the united states as the motherland really you know because it's not we're not a family like that but these big political movements in europe were like that and that might have taken the place and might serve in place of religion in that case so maybe it's something else besides religion uh in europe but they both serve the same purpose and that is providing a sense of purpose um in europe and especially in more you know, fascistic and socialist regimes, your purpose is tied to that of the group, you know, and, and this is even even more prominent in Asia, especially in places like China, where it's so potent in the culture that it, it, it manifests itself in odd ways. Um, a good example being uh, esports, I'll say. Um, Team-based esports, if you were to ask anybody who follows them and ask them where are the best teams in the world, they're in Korea, hands down, every time, or China. And the reason being is those societies lend themselves much better to cooperative efforts because it's so much, it, even in their language, is so much more geared towards a perspective of you as a part of a whole, not as an individual. And so... And like I said, it even manifests in their language. Their ability to communicate and coordinate as a team is just so much more natural than it is for Americans and Europeans. But Europeans, I think, find themselves in a weird middle place. Um, and then the Americans lean even further away from any type of group identity. But something had to fill that void. And I think in the Americas, it's, it was religion. You know, I mean, in just... Just look at how people identify themselves. The Puritans. Okay. They identify themselves not as people of Massachusetts, but the Puritans. Their religious identity was what, you know, served as the substrate. So maybe if we move it above religion, but we just say as a whole, cultural substrates that link people together by a common set of values, right? Um but more specifically those that provide an answer to the question of what is my purpose, right? Does that make, am I clear on that? Sure. Okay. So the problem with freedom, some people will say, is that you are free to do whatever you want, but you're now you're also free to figure out why you want to do it as well. And that's true. If you were to live totally freely and have none of these constraints that you willingly take on, well, then what is, you know, people ask me, well, what is your purpose for a living? You know, especially since I am an atheist. 
you know, in, in America, but even further so, if I were to say, well, I don't want to be a part of a country, I want to be on my own. It's like, well, you know, was why? You're like, well, I, it's not something that's easy to understand. It's like, because it's to be free and I can do what I want. And like, well, why do you want to do what you want? I'm like, because I just do, you know, I don't need a reason. My purpose is to, to live a fulfilling life. And then however that manifests to me is how it manifests. You know, and that seems counterintuitive to a lot of people. And I feel like each time we get closer to that becoming a possibility as a wider spread cultural, you know, thought, you know, just something for people to think about and consider, it gets rejected and people hard overcorrect back, you know, like, an, like essentially, as soon as you people start to taste nihilism, they do what half the people that deal with nihilism do and they run straight back to God. You know, I forget. I think it's Nietzsche who talked about that. You know, there's only like two or three ways out of nihilism. I think suicide going back to God. And then there's like this third really narrow option, which is essentially just accepting your nihilism. And as Kirk Kazat put it being an optimistic nihilist, you know, Um, which is very difficult for most people. But what I'm seeing, I find, I find that kind of funny why that would be difficult because optimistic nihilism in a nutshell is just nothing really matters, but that doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, 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 it, and it makes me wonder why, because my problem is I feel like that's what holds us back from being able to just be free is one of the biggest hurdles is individuals coming to terms with the purpose of life. And the purpose of their lives. Sure. I think that... Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, though. I don't... Um, I I would hesitate to accept that this is a... Just a intuitive, like, human thing to fear nihilism. I think that this is a very deep-rooted cultural thing. Possibly. That we, we have had an aspect of culture telling us what the meaning of life is for so long that now it is foreign and frightening to contemplate not having that. Right. Or that now we but, have the but time. But really, it only just takes a shred, like a little sliver of creativity to get over it, in my opinion. Maybe. You don't... But, okay... And this is, again, I'm going to... Well, like, consider this. Okay. Let's take the Christian canon. Okay. Uh, And for sake of argument, let's say that it is true. Okay. Um, So, (laughs) well, and and, then I I don't... This might get uh, rather sectarian uh, because I'm going to get into specifics a little bit. But one interpretation of the Christian canon is that the very purpose for humans existing is to essentially settle an argument. Um, You know, if given the option between believing and serving God and falling into their own tendencies and choosing evil, which would they pick? Even if you had an eternal sacrifice on the line. Um, so even if that is true, okay, now we have a purpose. But why? What's the purpose of that? Right. But the thing is, the, once you get to that level, it's far enough away, it's far enough alienated from the individual that it's irrelevant. You know, it's... Right, we're content having a place no matter how silly it is because it right. is a place. Right, and, and the notion of... I would say the notion of having to have a place is something that is a result of us being able to be lazier and not having to work as hard, I would say, is a practical reason for that. Like, for example, if you, let's go back to the state of nature. If your primary concern was where am I going to get my next meal and how am I going to survive tonight, you're probably not pondering the purpose of life. It's pretty pretty freaking obvious you know right it's dinner is the purpose of life it's the purpose of life making it to tomorrow is the purpose of life fulfilling these biological urges i have meaning of life you know eating food procreating meaning of life you know 
and it's not it, something... But you're not even thinking about that kind no. of philosophical level either. You don't think about it. It's something that feeds... It's Right, but we've gotten so good at all those that now we have free time to think about it. Exactly. And so now we have to ascribe... And, and, and I think it's funny that even if you look back in through history, a lot of religious leaders, for example, were people that were propped up by society that had the time to think about these things. People in positions of power often had didn't worry about the same things as the everyday person did, you know, um, not to go all working man that, on I, you. Well, but, I think that still is relatively true. Oh, yeah. But now we all live just as comfortably, if not more comfortably, and with as more luxuries than any of the wealthiest and most powerful people pre-1900, you know. Yes. Um. So we all get that luxury, the luxury of pondering our existence, you know. Right. That's what survival we're is taken here. for granted. Yes. Yeah, survival is taken for granted. So that's literally what we're doing right here. And now that we no longer have to think about it, we we do though. Like it's like I don't have to think about surviving. Let's think about surviving. Let's think about surviving. Um yeah. Sure. Um I think I, I think there's I don't know. It, it is also difficult for me to to empathize with that because I'm the kind of person who it would go against my own values and destroy my own self-image to capitulate to something I thought was wrong. And so I don't understand fully where other people are coming from who are content to do that like i I, now of course i don't really understand my own psychology at this level but i cannot imagine myself being a content surf you know right that kind of thing right well and but that's the thing is it's never sold plenty of people were content surfs yeah they're yeah because they they were content. They had their place. This is my place. I work. Yeah. And I, I actually do think that that is, I actually do think that may have been something that was selected for. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> I know memes aren't like genes. They're not necessarily selected for in the sure. same way. But it's undeniable that human societies and people within societies tend to have almost always tended to fare better than those who were not members of societies. Sure. But in order for you to form a society, you have to have people willingly opt in. Even in, you know, ancient societies where slavery was rampant and serfdom was rampant, there were always way more serfs than there were anyone else. Exactly. And at any moment, if they just decided they didn't want to be serfs anymore... They wouldn't be. Right. So how do you get the masses to want to be serfs, you know? And I think because it's been going on for so long, it's one of those things that it's almost like we, you can't breed out a gene, you can't breed out a meme, but it's like, it's almost like the meme of not wanting to be a serf has been demonized so much. And you can look at a lot of the things, like, look at the, like, the term hedonism, for example. Hedonism, the problem with hedonism to a lot of people is that it's your disregard for other people. Yes. Yeah. That's a terrible term. You know, terrible term. Terrible. No one wants to be hedonistic. You know, that's terrible. That's bad. Selfishness. You know, why are you selfish? You know, why are we taught to share from a young age? You know, why is it that we glorify sacrifice? You know? And it's so funny to me that people we, we have and and like the respect for things like military and veterans is comes along in this vein. It's mm-hmm. that they even if they didn't make the sacrifice, they were willing to make the sacrifice, put them on a pedestal, give them a day in the calendar, you know, and it's so ingrained that and, and you know, and even in like the the epic narratives of old, you know, I uh. I recently, I, I would recommend this. Sargon of Akkad actually put down a uh, political reading of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is one of, if not the oldest, 
written human stories. I believe it is the oldest that we still have copies of. Right. Um, I, I don't want to, I, I, I try to avoid, you know, certainty statements because yes. I don't want someone to come along and fact check me on that because I don't have it pulled out right in front of me. But still, I think yeah. it's around about 5,000 years older than the Torah. Yeah, it's pretty it's old. Pretty old. But even the lessons in the Epic of Gilgamesh, you know, because there were parables in that, in that epic. It talks a lot about the overarching theme is becoming good. But when you look at what it took to be good, it's still there. It's suffering. It's a, it, it, took, it takes a person who can do anything, is totally free, you know, and they bend to their mortality. And... It, and that's where a lot of it comes from is the human recognition of mortality and looking for an escape in a way. Cause that's what the epic's really about is, you know, it's, you know, Gilgamesh is being Gilgamesh doing whatever Gilgamesh want to do. And then he gets a friend and then they go fight some stuff and his friend dies and his friend dies. And now he contemplates his own mortality and he finds out that you can't escape death sucks to suck. And then he, Instead, turns and instead of talking about himself, he props up Uruk, his society. Yes. Instead, because the society lives on beyond us all. Yes. And in that way, you can escape death with a legacy. Yes. As an identity. And so maybe that's what it is. It's the human inability to comprehend mortality. Like, I would argue that no one can truly comprehend mortality in a truly objective way, I would say. I, I think it's really difficult for humans to contemplate their own mortality truly objectively, all of their emotions and instincts removed from it. You know, not saying it's impossible, and I'm saying, and you could you could very well contemplate it without it having a huge effect on your life. But I think truly understanding the actual effect it has on your entire life is beyond the human scope of true understanding, you know, in a large way. I mean, are you, are you willing to challenge me on that statement or? I don't know if it's worth going into right now. Possibly not. But we're, it, I think we're, we might be getting too off topic. Too off topic. Fair enough. We're trying to talk about religion. Well, it wasn't so much religion. It was this anti-freedom <laughs> that we cling to as a society I see. um it anyway let's accept for the sake of argument that humans cannot comprehend their own mortality or they fully fully yeah um or comprehend the implications of their mortality if you want to soften it even more i guess sure let's see where this goes let's see where this and goes. if it ends up being a point of contention then i'll challenge it fair enough um but that being only one of the only certainties in life Ironically enough, um, we don't like it. And because we don't like it, we will accept things that are all we also don't like, but we don't not like them as much as death. It's like, I don't want to be a serf, but I really don't want to be dead. Even so much so that we consider anything, like a good example is, if I put a gun to your head and made you do something, is it your fault? Most people will forgive it because it's like, well, he was faced with death. Anything he could do, none of it's worse than him dying to him, right? Like we, we get into a lot of the, you know, we've gotten into that before, which is, isn't it still your fault if I held a gun to your head and made you do something? Because you did it. It's like, well, no, I mean, I didn't really have a choice. But you did though. Like you did have a choice. You just didn't like the outcome. And we don't like the outcome as a society so much that we will forgive other unspeakable things in its place. To, to a point though, there is a line, I think. So let's take this hypothetical. Fair enough. Um, I point a gun at you and order you to kill somebody. Okay. I'm not cer certain that society would forgive you for doing that. 
I could probably cite if you look up a few examples where that's absolutely the case. See military intervention below. Um, but now we're getting into group dynamics, which is a different. We have different psychologies about groups, even though I think it's silly. Mm. Yeah, but still, because we tend we because for some re- here's another thing that has to do with all this. That really gets under my skin. And I'm guilty of this. It is really hard to think about groups in terms of the individuals which compose them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's why there are entire philosophies that only look at people as groups. Because it's easier sometimes. But most of the time, it's easier to make that assumption. Yeah. Yeah. This has a whole bunch of terrible consequences, of course. Yeah. See a hundred plus million dead in the twentieth century, right? Or well, or even comparatively minor things, but things that are hot button political issues now. But we can't place responsibility in the right places because we just point the finger at group, right? Group is responsible. Group is responsible. No, group is not responsible. Individuals are responsible, right? But even then, like. Let's go back to the original example before we get too far off of it. Sure. I put a gun to your head and make you kill somebody. Okay. Let's change the scenario. Um, Gun to... I don't like making things personal, but it really, I think, helps drive the point home sometimes. But your your most beloved loved one, Okay. my gun to their head, they kill somebody. Would you be willing to send them off to stand trial for that murder? No. There you go. And granted, I understand that it's maybe because they're your relative and you have emotional you know, connections to them, but if we were to treat everyone fairly, you know, Ooh. there you go. But <laughs> yes, still. But, but yes, you, you, well, I think in that case, yes, you were appealing to my favoritism. But even then, let's look at real, like, real historical examples. How many people were tried over the Nazi war crimes? I don't know. Ten. Okay. Nuremberg trials. I think it was 10. Still, though, not enough. Not enough. Yeah, but we didn't go grab every Tom, Dick, and Harry Nazi out there and put them to the stone for it. No, we, they were just following orders, you know? Granted, most of these, again, military, but then again, if you look at the majority of murders that have been committed, you know, always, it's almost always been someone in a uniform doing on the behalf of someone else, you know? I think that's even worse. You know, it's not like, it's not the question of whether we're going to hold them up to some kind of scrutiny. It's, are we going to glorify this person for doing it for us? You know, and it's still murder, you know, but it's not, it's different. It's killing. It's different. It's defense. And they soften and soften the words, you know, and it, and it keeps us away from it, you know, one of the fastest, one of the first things that comes to mind, you know, let's look at self-defense. In almost every example of self-defense, it's th- better them than me, you know. I would justify my own murder. I would justify my own committing of murder to save my own life, you know. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Most people think that's reasonable. You know? Mm-hmm. But then... But it's because death is that bad, you know. I'll forgive myself for murder as long as it keeps me alive, you know. Why not just take that principle on an individual level, scale it up to society, and then it it can easily explain why we are okay with eating into other things that tell us it's it's more okay, you know. It's like, I think that defending myself is good. Okay. Well, then doing it to other people is also fine you know it's just justifiable good reason you know for doing it and don't be wrong i do understand that there are certain religious examples where they don't condone this at all you know like you know turn the the whole turn the other cheek example you know i I always get confused when i talk to someone who believes in the right to own bear arms as self-defense but also when i say well what about you know turning the other cheek and not harming people it's like well excuses excuses but even then you know that's the narrative of some, I don't, I don't think I could have ever imagined a nation saying, well, we're going to turn the other cheek and just let ourselves get <laughs> paint rolled, you know, 
for it. Well, it's because most people miss the core philosophy of Christianity anyway. Right. Which really is just about being a hippie, except 2,000 years ago. Right, mostly. But, I mean, I don't know. It's But that's not very fun. It's not very fun, you know. Not if you take it as seriously as Jesus, if he were the person he's portrayed to be, would have it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, th- th- but all of that eats into freedom. Is I guess the point I'm trying to drive home is that people, a lot of people don't really want to be free, you know? Like, I ask, I would love, we should do some SE sometime. Well, it wouldn't really be SE because it would be, we're, we're, it would be leading questions, maybe. I, we'd have to figure out a right way to do it. But I would love to interview people just and ask them. Just a social them, experiment, bro. Just a social experiment, bro. It's SE. <laughs> just a prank, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would love to ask people, like, do you want to be free? You know? And then what, what would you give for freedom? You know, and all this other stuff. Like, you know, and then, you know, would you give up comfort to be free? Would you give up? x to be free y to be free do you understand that being truly free means that you don't rely on anything else for the meaning in life because by accepting even tacitly a meaning for life other than something that you come up with and relies only on you you you're not free you're bound by external rules right even if and some people would argue like yeah but i'm free to accept those external rules and i'm like sure Yes, you technically are, but by accepting an external input, you are surrendering freedom to right. do that. Like, yes, you, you use are, you used your freedom to give to away, give away your, your freedom, right? Yes. Yeah, and um, and a lot of people will say, well, as long as I can, but I'm still free because I can choose to leave anytime I want. I'm like, yes, you still always have the option to back out, but while you're not doing that, you're still not free, you know. I don't know if I totally buy that. Okay, go on. Well, like, how how far does that go? Like, if I, if I out of my own, you know, impulses, uh, decide to help somebody who I don't owe, right? I just feel like I should. Am I surrendering my freedom to that person, or is that an, or is that a free action? I mean, maybe it is a free action. Maybe I'm overstating it a bit. I think I think that adopting a set of rules for oneself that one can always back out of, I don't think in and of itself is a surrender of one's freedom. Maybe not. I Okay, let me see if I can rephrase it then based more on maybe what I was thinking about. Um, if, let's just kind of leave it where we started it. It's, I... I'm going to surrender my purpose in life to something else, you know, like, let's like, let's take a, let's take in the West Christianity again. Most. Yeah. I think, I think that's where it, where it comes down to, because it's not, it's not adopting a set of rules for yourself. It is letting somebody else tell you what to do. Right. It's submitting to that authority. Right. You will. Right. And not, yeah. And it's not, not a matter of, Someone told me I should do this, and I think it's a good idea, so I'll do it. It's deciding that I need an authority. Right. That this authority really does command my actions. And no better than I do. Right. As well. Not based Basically, on... I will let so-and-so do the thinking and telling for me. Right. And then this gets kind of difficult because when we go back to our conversation about experts, you know, we talk about there's the convenience factor of having them, Mm -hmm. you know. But every time you buy into an expert's words, Mm -hmm. you are surrendering part of your belief system to out of trust. Like you, you, you're using trust to essentially give up that part of your like i'm going to give up me figuring this out for myself so that you can figure it out and while that may sound like i'm offloading work onto you what i'm also doing is giving up my authority over that part what i'm going to believe in that part of my life Mm. for it to work anyway you know like 
what good is having an expert if, you know, no one believes the expert? You know, and and, and I feel like we're also kind of walking into I the think, realm. I of think it comes into that... like okay, if I accept an expert opinion on something, I will. I, I think I can. I can put it in terms of okay, I will. Uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, tentatively. Uh, live my life as though this is the case. And at any such point that I come across a conflict, then I will suspend this behavior and come to a new conclusion. I'm not like forever and always saying, yep, this is the truth. You have the authority on this issue. And I will not consider it further. Okay. So I guess the, the real dividing line is over... is who gets to say it, it's more about, I guess giving up, it's more around giving up your, your, your own choice over what is right and wrong in that case. Right. Um, now yes, that's when you delegate principles to somebody else, right. that's where you have sacrificed your freedom and you're no longer thinking for yourself. Now, does this play into morality as well? You know, like... Uh, I think morality is based on principles, so sure. Yeah. Because um, one of the other things that I used to argue against is... Uh, I used to argue against relative morality a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I did is because, you know, I believed that there was an absolute right and wrong, you know? Yes. Right. Um. Usually, though, the, the the real discussion is about, well, who gets to decide what that objective right and wrong is. Like, we assume that because if there is an objective right and wrong, then someone must know what it is, you know, or there must be some way of knowing it. Otherwise, if you can't know it, it doesn't exist. I think it's another fallacy that, you know, permeates and helps promote this type of behavior of offloading your principles to another source. Mm-hmm. Um but that's kind of what it is, though. Is it's relative morality. It's if if you reserve the right to decide what is right and wrong, then you also are reserving the right to have a relative morality from someone else. Like it is different from someone else's, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have problems with that as well. Um, it's been fun talking about it. To be real, um. I know we're not quite at time, but it's one of those things that I, I talk about a lot. I, I feel like I talk with people a lot about, but it's, and then I see these things happening, you know, where people can't stand to give themselves meaning. And I guess the end goal that I would have in even talking about it is trying to figure out a way that that meme can spread, you know? And also try to be careful that I'm not creating a whole new religion in the process. Right. Well, I mean, I think that that meme is spreading slowly but surely. I mean, because as a whole, at least in the West, religiosity is on a steady decline. It not is. a very rapid one, but a steady one. Right, but if you watch the if you but the if you were to look at the percentage of people that leave religiosity in their traditional the traditional sense, a lot of them end up in another type of pretty much religion. You know, that's another thing you see is they're just changing from one to another. Like for example, a lot of people don't cons- like I've heard some people compare, you know, beliefs about feminism and beliefs about climate change as religious sure and i get where they're coming from you know i I really do see it and uh, the age-old example i always talk about is aa alcoholics anonymous Mm -hmm. alcoholics anonymous whoof that was hard to pronounce there um people are essentially just trading one addiction for another you know they're trading their addiction to alcohol for their addiction to alcoholics anonymous you know 
Um, but because people in AA tend to exhibit factors that we would more readily attribute with success, we're okay with it, you know. I'm not saying everybody, if you know somebody who went through AA that didn't like that, then, you know, I'm not trying to speak too generally, but that the fact that that's a joke, you know, and that's something that people talk about, that means, you know, it exists for a reason, you know, the stereotype does, you know, and that might just be a fallacious way of me saying, you know, trying to prove my point, but, um, I just had a, an unrelated thought. Sure. Why, why is it called Alcoholics Anonymous if the first thing you do is tell everybody your name? Because the whole thing is built on a tower of lies. All right, moving on. Moving on. Um, but yeah, that's one thing I see is people might be leaving traditional religions for something else. But I feel like the chase... I feel like there's this chase for meaning that as long as you're actually looking somewhere else for meaning, you're not going to be doing it right. Like, And maybe that's my opinion. You know, it's your opinion, man. Well, so it is your opinion. It is my opinion, but my opinions are right. So <coughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's one of the nice things about having relative morality. I am right at me, you know, <laughs> who are you to say otherwise? But um, it's, I, I, I do believe that, you know, I do believe that if you're looking for something else in your life to give you meaning, that in order for you to get that meaning, you have to hand over, you have to make sacrifices, then it's not truly a genuine meaning in life. Like I would contend. Well, do you mean do you mean to say that if you derive meaning from life by making sacrifices, then that's illegitimate? Is that what you're saying? What I what I'm saying? No, not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm saying is, if you derive your meaning in life as something that is. on faith okay then it's wrong because when you do something and this is why i say that if you take something on faith faith requires that you sacrifice your ability to determine and decide right by its nature and i know that we've talked about faith and when we discussed christianity but it go faith. You can have faith in anything. Sure, and that's belief or, without evidence. Belief without evidence, and that's, or not even belief without evidence necessarily. It's it, that's what it is. But also even further, belief without the possibility of evidence, either. You know, like sure, that's a yeah, because that, that is a, a stricter case. Stricter yeah. case, but yeah, like in, in Christianity, they do not offer you the possibility of evidence beyond after you're dead most of the time i mean i guess you could say the rapture you know but like i don't know i think that i think there are places in christianity where there are opportunities for evidence to be there but it's not but they're not guaranteed i guess that's what i'm saying yes you're right it's not yeah there's always a loophole to get around there not being any because there isn't right now and th- and that delineates things that can be a th- and that's why i like science is because in science if if a scientist were an expert if you will were to tell you that something is true in order for it to be scientific they have to guarantee it with evidence to some degree and it can change you know it's not going to be something that is set in stone because right there is no scientific canon right we don't have a canon Everything is on the table to be thrown out as soon as there is contradictory evidence. Right. And when it comes to your personal life, when you are making decisions every day, if you make decisions, you know, back to that whole discussion. But Oof. yeah, but I mean, being free and submitting to authority, you know, submitting to authority be- willingly, if you submit to an authority that doesn't give you a way out, then you're not really free. You're, you're not being free in that case, you know, and, and if you're right. submitting to an authority for a very illogical reason in that way, you know, like without guarantee of evidence and that taking it on faith, then yeah, you are surrendering your conscious ability that allowed you to make that decision in the first place. And I think, cause I've been talking, I, I uh, was talking to someone about our uh, discussion, our, our inductive proof, if you will, over people's inability to make decisions on what they believe. 
Do you remember uh, that yes. discussion? Um, and they were like, well, yeah, you can. I was like, okay, well, I want you to choose to believe that you cannot change your beliefs. And they go, okay, I just did. It's like, okay. Now, choose. Now, can you choose to stop believing that? You know? And they said, no. And and I was I thought it was funny. I think they were messing with me, but it also kind of gave me like a weird shudder because I was like, what if that's how it is? You know, what if I know it's not, but like, what if that's how it was? Like, the moment you gave up your ability to choose, at that point forward, you've given it up. You know what I mean? You know, but that's kind of what it is like when you start down a cycle like that. It's not as strict, but if you start finding yourself in a, if you enter into a cycle of giving up that authority. From that point forward, it's almost addictive because it's everything you do from that point forward, better or worse. And if we, as we look for most people, most people's lives tend to improve with age because, well, you are wiser in general. It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, this is because of that decision that I made. And especially if that was a part of the guarantee is your life yes. will get better. This is, the, this is the very psychological root of superstition. In right. Fact, that um, I did a thing... And also something good happened. They must be related. Yeah. But that psychological reinforcement digs you deeper and deeper into a hole. And it gets you harder and harder to get out of it. And avoiding those sinkholes is, you know. And uh, I think society is one of those sinkholes. I really do. Like, society. <laughs> um, but I think buying into a society is one of those sinkholes. You know, and that's one thing that it pains me to see a lot of people that I tend to agree with a lot of the times in other political areas also fall into that same pitfall is, well, you know, these people are bad because they don't buy into a society. And I'm like, man, like you lost me, you know? And, uh, and it's difficult because I do understand that people's lives are getting, some people will say, well, my life is so much better once I started to care about society and i'm like well that that framing is terrible because that makes it sound like i don't care about other people you can still care about other people and not submit to them you know right but it's such a meme at this point to think that that's how it is you know families that way friendships are that way people make the assumption that well i do what i do because they're family it's like well what does that make why why does that make them special if it doesn't you know, and if anything, the only thing that sets them apart is the amount of time, how well you know them. But that should sometimes be just as much evidence why you shouldn't, you know, help them out or buy into them, you know, and it's, I don't know. It's one of those things where I, I, I feel like every time we enable, I, I, maybe I'm just a bit pessimistic about it, but I feel like there's there's always going to be something that we hard over correct towards before it gets better. And it seems like each time we get a little bit closer to freedom, you know, every time this, the world gets to be a better enough place where freedom is allowed to be able to prosper because people aren't having to be as reliant on other people. Like, I think that's one of the biggest ways that we can help achieve freedom is through abundance. Because when people don't need to rely on other people every day, practically, or not feel like they have to, they're more likely to adopt a more free mentality there's another war. There's another event that causes some artificial sense of dependency. You know, um, the rise in socialism again, I think is a great example. Returning to the zoomers, returning to religion, you know, in droves is an example, you know, and they feed each other because you see other people start grouping up. it's hard sometimes to fight the temptation of, well, I should be grouping up too. I need to find where I, no one, and and they all hate fence setters. Like that's the other thing is that groups hate individuals. That's the one thing all groups have in common. They will always hate individuals more than they hate other groups. Excuse me. Are you generalizing about generalizing right now? Are you meta generalizing? I am meta right now. Generalizing. Yes. (laughs) I'll say it. (laughs) Uh, I'll stick to it. Show me a group that, that hates other groups more than they hate individuals. Libertarians. (laughs) Libertarians. <laughs> as a libertarian, I refuse to identify as being a part of that group. <laughs> that statement. As a libertarian, stop. Like, stop, stop right there. Stop. 
<laughs> oh man. Do you have well. any, yeah, do you have anything else to add to that? I think that's a good place to stop. I think that is too. Uh, that's going to be my new favorite catchphrase. As a libertarian, I <laughs> stop right there. Stop right there. <laughs> okay, meatloaf, we're done. Yep. Philosophers. Philosophers.